Good morning. What a joy it is to be with you this morning. Uh, For those of you that do not know me, my name is Shannon Barham. I serve as one of the pastors appointed to this church here in Santa Barbara. If you are new to the church, welcome, welcome, welcome. We are genuinely uh, happy to have you here today and hope uh, your time with us is encouraging. Uh, Again, happy Father's Day to all the awesome fathers out there today. I especially want to say happy Father's Day to uh, my love, uh, Denzel Ballram, who I don't see here. (gasps) I was, yeah, I know, I was expecting you in the back. Yeah, uh, because we have small children. So happy Father's Day to you, my love. Uh, You're still attractive in every way. Um, My gift to you this morning is a sermon. So lucky, lucky you. Um, Yeah, yeah. Uh, I would also like to say happy Father's Day and happy birthday to my friend Jake Elliott. Um, My gift to you is also a sermon. uh, So you don't have to preach, you know, lucky, lucky guy. Um, And he's especially lucky uh, because I was asked to preach uh, Isaiah chapters 13 through 23. Yeah, that's right, 10 whole chapters, okay? And the title of the section is called The Oracles or Judgments of the Nations. Yeah, you owe me, Jake. Uh, And I I really think almost every other pastor here today owes me. And I'm going to say today is Happy Shannon Ballroom Day, all right? Okay, there we go. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, all, all jokes aside, um, it, it has been a while. Uh, it really uh, has been. I uh, had some babies, which is really exciting. Uh, and so I haven't had the, the pleasure of being able to preach a word uh, at this church in over a year. Uh, so it feels really great to be here, to be able to lean into uh, the gifts of teaching uh, and to just be able to be obedient to that call. Um, I really think uh, it is a beautiful challenge uh, to preach on Isaiah 13 through 23. And though it will be a hard text to preach, I mean, judgment is really not an easy thing to reflect on nor accept. Uh, I am truly confident in the work of the Holy Spirit and how it can bring revelation to each of us today. I am learning with you, and the word is really for all of us. And with that, I would like to begin our time in prayer. Holy Spirit, we thank you so much for the fact that you work miraculous things in our lives. The fact that we can gather here and we can have the privilege of being able to sing and to pray and to delight in the work that you are doing in the life of the church. Father, thank you for the miracle of what it means to have faith. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be able to study your word. I ask God that your spirit um, will teach us something new and bring new revelation, new wine in us today, that we may truly have some honest reflection, and in that, a courageous hope. So Jesus, be with us today and in the days ahead. In your name we pray. Amen. 
Uh, it's been uh, a few weeks uh, since we have continued our study of Isaiah. Uh, we paused some of our teaching to make space for Pentecost Sunday, Baptism Sunday. We had worship last week, which was just awesome. Um, so I would like to begin our time by revisiting some of our past teachings and summarizing them so that we might have a firmer foundation for understanding our text today. So if you have your Bible, please feel free to open it or grab one from the pew. If you're tech-savvy, go ahead, get your phone, flip it out, try to avoid Instagram, and go to Isaiah, okay? Specifically chapter 13, all right? As a reminder, uh, we learned that the prophet Isaiah lived in Jerusalem the later half of Israel's kingdom period, and he spoke on God's behalf to the leaders of Jerusalem and Judah. As a prophet, Isaiah is a bit unique, that the character of his prophetic ministry blends foretelling, right, the ability to name future events with foretelling preaching the truth to those who need to hear it. In some ways, this sets him apart from other prophets like Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Hosea. Colleen had actually highlighted in an earlier sermon that Isaiah's prophetic voice is akin to a mountain range. Each peak offers a prophetic declaration, but the time between its actualization is, is unknown because it's expansive, just like the distance between the peaks of the mountains and the valleys between them. Isaiah's prophetic word is built on two pillars, all right? There's judgment and hope, which the text mirrors. Chapters 1 through 39 contain three large sections that develop Isaiah's warning of judgment against Israel— culminating in the fall of Jerusalem and the exile of the people in Babylon. However, sprinkled in these chapters is a message of hope, that after the exile, God's covenant promises would be fulfilled, and this is where chapters 40 through 66 pick up that promise and develop it further. We have not made it very far in our study. Okay, we have only been studying the first few chapters of Isaiah, chapters 1 through 12, and that's known as the judgment of Israel, which is the first of the three sections we have highlighted in the judgment motif. As a reminder, in those first 12 chapters, Isaiah calls out Israel for idolatry, being unfaithful, serving other gods, and for being unjust not caring for the poor, and being corrupt. Isaiah indicates this is covenantal rebellion. It's not simply breaking off a relationship as if Israel is just, you know, ghosting God, all right? No, it's warring against God. Think a coup. And as a result, judgment will come in the form of Israel being conquered by other nations, specifically Assyria, and then again by Babylon. Isaiah prophetically and with deep grief names judgment is inevitable. Israel is no longer holy, set apart for God, and thus they will be held accountable for their actions. Isaiah describes two Jerusalem starting in chapter 6, old and new. Old Jerusalem is like a tree, and Isaiah highlights that divine judgment will take this tree, cut it down, grind it into a stump, 
and then set it on fire to reduce it to ash. Whoa. In many ways, this act, though painful, is described as purifying. It's removing that which is causing this tree, which has become sickly and is not bearing fruit, a chance for new life, new growth, hope. This will be the new Jerusalem where peace, justice, equity, faithfulness will be found not only for Israel, but for all the nations. So this, this is what brings us then to Isaiah chapters 13 through 23. Commonly known as the oracles or judgments of the nations, Isaiah will go one by one looking at Israel and Judah and a number of their surrounding neighbors and in each one pronounce a judgment against them. All right. In summary, the oracles or judgments were written against the following kingdoms. Babylon, Moab, Damascus, otherwise known as Syria, Ephraim, otherwise known as Israel, Edom, Arabia, Judah, which when you read in chapters 22 is described as the Valley of the Vision, and Tyre. In reading these chapters and the various judgments, you might ask yourself, what is the significance of these nations? Why did Israel single out these nations for poetic word of judgment? Can we get those lists of those nations on the screen one more time? Thank you. Take a look at them. It's a great question, I think. It's an interesting one, right? Because when you look at this list, there is one nation that is not named. The Assyrians. The Assyrians are completely left out of these chapters. Odd, right? I mean, the Assyrians are the people who are prophetically named as a vessel of judgment that will destroy Israel, take over multiple cities of Judah, and are described as being pretty brutal, unjust, definitely immoral, and engaged in idolatry. I mean, you would think, all right, that they would come first in the list of judgments. Old Testament scholars had the same question. They discovered in some Near Eastern writings that during the time of Isaiah, there was a coalition of smaller nations who banded together to fight against and oppose the Assyrians. You might be able to guess who they were. Babylon, Moab, Syria, Israel, Adam, Arabia, Judah, Tyre. Fascinating. Ironic? Not at all. The scholarship emphasizes Isaiah was intentional in his prophetic statements in chapters 13 through 23, offering judgments against each of the nations a part of this coalition. Remember, Isaiah brings together foretelling, naming truth to those who need to hear it, with foretelling, naming what is to come. Isaiah is speaking truth to Israel and Judah, and the message is for them, and they would have been the only ones to hear it. It's like when your parents were disciplining you for hanging out with people you knew and they knew were bad influences, not known for doing good things, and they were calling you out. And the truth, the truth that Isaiah is trying to call out 
What he is trying to emphasize, and he is emphasizing in every chapter, is God is sovereign. It's as if Isaiah is saying to Israel and Judah, you can align together and team up with these nations and hope to overcome Assyria. However, you will not overcome the judgment of God. Even if you band together, you cannot save yourself from God's judgment. Make all the plans you got become the biggest coalition you want, but you will fail and they will fail because in the end, corruption, idolatry, injustice will each bring your downfall. And the price, devastating. God is sovereign. Instead of seeking security from God, the one they were in a covenantal relationship with, the God who chose them, brought them out of exile, gave them the land they occupied, Judah and Israel instead find security in building alliances with nations who rejected God, their God. And at various times in history were the nations who served as violent oppressors of them. It's interesting, right? I mean, can you, can you see the compromise in this for them? Assyria was feared more than God. Idolatry. I cannot help but wonder if the leaders of Israel and Judah heard Isaiah's prophetic word as discussed in chapters 1 through 12, that Assyria would be used as a vessel of judgment. And thus, stepped into these alliances thinking they could change their fate in some way as if they could just avoid accountability and, and instead of turning to God with repentance, turned further away by relying on themselves and whatever plan they could come up with. God is sovereign. God is the Lord of the nations. And we read in Isaiah 13 through 23, no one is above God. No political system is above God because God still reigns supreme even when the world political situation seems daunting. Can you imagine how infuriating and disappointing it must have been to hear the prophecies of Isaiah 13 through 23 if you were Judah and Israel? You make this alliance with these other nations and you learn it means nothing. All right, because these nations, they also will be judged. They also will be given over to destruction because of their idolatry and unjust actions. For example, Babylon. Israel and Judah had to feel pretty secure in their alliance with Babylon. It was an upcoming superpower. All right, they would have had resources to provide security and support should Assyria become more of a threat. But Isaiah, but Isaiah names truth. Babylon is temporal, and they too will face judgment and fall because of their immorality. Isaiah 13, verses 17 through 22. The fall of Babylon. Behold, I am stirring up the Medes against them who have no regard for silver and do not, do, and do not delight in gold. Their bows will slaughter the young men. They will have no mercy on the fruit of the womb. Their eyes will not pity children. In Babylon, 
The glory of kingdoms, the splendor and pomp of the Chaldeans will be like Sodom and Gomorrah when God overthrew them. It will never be inhabited or lived in for all generations. No Arab will pitch his tent there. No shepherds will make their flocks lie down there. But wild animals will lie down there and their houses will be full of howling creatures. These ostriches will dwell and their wild goats will dance. Hyenas will cry in its towers and jackals in the pleasant palaces. Its time is close at hand and its days will not be prolonged. Babylon, which must have seemed invincible, for sure a secure ally will be reduced to rubble. In fact, Isaiah 13 verse 19 records Babylon will be made like Sodom and Gomorrah utterly destroyed. Isaiah's words make it very clear, not only in chapter 13, but in every chapter, if you study this, these 10, chapters 13 through 23, that it is false security to put your trust in nations like Babylon, Moab, Syria, and so on, over and against God, because it is God who is sovereign, and it is God who is Lord of all nations. Happy Father's Day. (laughs) So what do these chapters offer us to consider today? What, What does this speak for us in our current context? Martin Luther, a Protestant reformer, said, whatever your heart clings to and confides in, that is really your God, your functional Savior. I'm going to repeat that one more time, okay? Martin Luther King, Martin Luther, Protestant reformer, said, whatever your heart clings to and confides in, that is really your God, your functional Savior. These texts in Isaiah 13 through 23 are incredibly hard to read, but wow, just so important. They're really important for us to sit with and make space with as Christian believers, We are not above Israel and Judah. We should not think too highly of ourselves as if we would not make the same callous mistake. These texts invite each of us to consider how we fool ourselves with our own self-assurance by giving into idolatry, by believing we are capable of controlling our own destinies. It highlights the fragility of human nature and where fear and ego lead us to compromise when it comes to being faithful and true to our relationship with God. Furthermore, I think these texts also invite us to reflect a bit more deeply about the American church and maybe even our own political alliances. Do we as Christians put more trust in our political parties in the United States? as if they will bring God's salvation? And I know that's uncomfortable to to ask, but I think it's a fair question. Do political parties inform more of our understanding of God than us genuinely seeking God through prayer and study? Do, Do we believe that the United States is infallible in some way, truly exceptional, and thus above reproach, above God's judgment? Idolatry. Our political landscape is indeed very daunting. There can be a number of things that elicit fear, 
Inflation, political corruption, fear of war, global warning, the list can go on. And it's easy, I think it's very easy to put false security in political affiliation and dare I say Christian nationalism and any other political alliance we think will truly secure our salvation. As if these temporal human constructed things will actually save us. God is sovereign. God is Lord of all nations, including the United States. God is God of all. We are temporal. Our political parties, temporal. We are infallible, but God is not. And maybe, maybe it's not political. That was the thought that came to my mind when I was reading that. Maybe instead for you, when you're reflecting on your life or you're reflecting about the, the work of the church, maybe what comes to mind is, hmm, our trust, our trust is more in our friends and our family than it is in God. Maybe it's in our finances. Maybe it's found in our intellect. Maybe it's in our own numbing when it comes to substances or social media use. Isaiah 13 through 23 invites us to honest reflection and genuine confession. What is our idol? What is it that we put more trust in than God? These are hard texts, like I said. Not easy to read, not easy to study, not easy to reflect on, but necessary. And for me, when I was reading these texts, I just consistently came to the point that I know I am fallible. I am in need of God, and God is sovereign. It invited me to really get on my knees and really think, what do I need to confess in my life that in many ways has become my savior? Things that are replacing God replacing Christ in my life. Because let's fast forward here, right? We're talking Old Testament. The Old Testament serves as a primer to who we are as the Christian church was in the New Testament, the New Testament hope of who Christ is. Because when we read in the New Testament, it says, every tongue shall confess, every knee will bow. We all will face judgment because we all fall short of the glory of God. But because we have a belief in the power, the resurrected power of Christ, we can be resurrected and given new hope. That is powerful. What a wonderful invitation that Isaiah, for us as Christian believers, invites us to get on our knees and to confess and say, Lord, you are holy. You are holy. Jesus Christ is the Lord. Because we remember Isaiah had two themes, judgment and hope. When we have honest reflection, when we have moments of deep confession, we also then can step into courageous hope. To know fully that I am forgiven because of who Christ is in my life, and I can step in with that kind of courageous hope and live a profound and deep life where I say that God is Lord of my life. Honest reflection, courageous hope. I want to end our time giving us a chance to think about Tim Keller, Pastor Tim Keller's words on judgment. Without a judgment day, we would live in a hopeless world, but if there is a judgment day, none of us could bear the weight of judgment. However, in Christ we have already been judged. In Christ we can live between two judgments, 
the judgments we've already passed through, and the coming judgment of the world. Not much to say except, Lord, you are holy. God, you are sovereign. And may the words of Isaiah 13 through 23, though hard-pressing, encourage us to continue to, to live out that truth. Thank you, church. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.